You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What's going on, people? Welcome to Paint Points. As usual, I'm your host, Jade Painting. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network and the Chain of Supers family. I think the Timberwolves might be fun again. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but since the All-Star break, they are 3-3. Three and three. There's been a lot of really good moments. There's been some some poor moments as well, but but definitely a huge upswing from what we saw Heading into the All-Star break and capped off by that Charlotte Hornets thrashing that kind of felt like rock bottom of the season. And now it seems to be going going in the upwards direction. And I want to talk about all the fun things today and all the things that have kind of excited me throughout this, this last stretch of games. And to do that, of course, is none other than Kana Super's site manager, editor-in-chief, the fun man himself, the optimistic legend himself kyle Tagi. what's going on kyle what's going on man thanks for reading uh thanks for reading the introduction that i wrote about myself <laughs> yeah it's i i messaged you during the week and I, as soon as they beat phoenix in that that game a few nights ago i said all right we need a pod about this because there's no one who does it better than you even when times are, are tough i think that you are one of the one of the few people who can stay partial but also definitely bring some some optimism to the team, and I think right now there's actually optimistic things to talk about. So, I guess I'm, I'll throw it to you straight away. What is what has excited you the most? You, you know, I've seen you on Twitter. We've we've talked about it. What's what's been the thing that that kind of has stood out to you as as the most fun or the most exciting thing after this All Star break? I, I think I think that's you you worded that question perfectly. I really only want to talk about after the All Star break. About yeah, anything, oh, you know what that, I mean? Like I've the rest of before the All Star break is just like a bad dream. I don't, I don't even, not even sure if that actually happened. It's, I mean, it's you know, it, it really is like rebranding or like I don't know if you like repainted your kitchen or something. Like it, it's not the same thing. So, because uh, I was talking to my dad the other day about like that Hornets loss, right? Because yeah, the Wolves, as you said, three and three since the All Star break. But he brought up that Hornets loss. That Hornets loss means nothing to me. Because they were, but you know what I mean? Like, you're a bad team. You're a young team. And those guys, this COVID season, man, has been like, you're reading all these really well-written articles. It's draining on people. So people, the, the Timberwolves saw that game as like 48 minutes until spring break. And they just coasted. Like, they didn't care. So that mean, that game statistically means nothing. I don't take anything from that. But to answer your question, what's the most exciting thing? The answer is far and away Chris Finch. And there really isn't a number two. Like, if your answer is Anthony Edwards' play, that's cool. I love him, but it's because of Chris Finch. Chris everything Finch, is because of Finch in the end. Like it, the, everything that's going well is because Finch has come in and 
changed everything around and, and really put his imprints on the team. And I'm, I've been on pods with you before now and like other people and we've, we've all written about it. Like I'll say it now. So we get it out of the way. I really enjoyed Ryan Saunders. He was the, a good bridge from the Tom Thibodeau era. Um, and he's a great human. And I've said it a hundred times. He wasn't a very good coach. Um, he's a great person. I'm, you would say this, you'd back me up. I'm a great person, but I can't do your taxes. Like I can't, you know what I mean? Like I can't build a house. Like there's just a lot of shit that I can't do. But that, I mean, I'm a good person. doesn't mean I should do the job. Ryan couldn't coach the job. And since Chris Finch came in, it seems like this is a professional basketball team. And in January and in early February, they were not a professional basketball team. Like, they just weren't. They didn't. I tweeted out the other night that, like, this new Finch team, like, has more fight in them. Like, they'll give up an 8-0 run or 10-0 run, but then they'll punch you back and go on a 12-2 run. They didn't do that under Ryan. Yes, I know they had a comeback against the Thunder or something. Like, they showed a little pride. But this is like actual, those games that they came back and they all lost. That game that they beat the Suns in where Carl and Ant or combined for 83, they they were down that game like by 12 in the third quarter. And then they came back and won it. So to me, the biggest thing is Chris Finch. He's a professional. That dude's waited his whole life to get this chance. And you hear him talk in Zoom, pregame, postgame, whatever. He's so smart. Like that dude just gets it. Like he's making offensive, defensive subs on the fly. And he's experimenting, by the way. Like, they, they're trying to win. You know that. They're trying to win. But he's throwing Wancho out there late in games. He's doing – he's mixing it up. Um, He's awesome. And he is, I think, like, the third best asset that this team has. Without going on to an hour-long spiel, it's like Ant, Carl. And then I think it's Finch. And I think it might be Finch more than, like, Gerson Rosas. Like, I think this dude is a top seven coach in the league already. And I think he is going to help them immensely. Give that dude an offseason. Holy hell, they're going to be awesome. They're going to be awesome. Like what? And you and you see basketball way better than I do. I mean, that's a fact. Like you see it better. What have you actually seen him do? Well, I, I first I want to agree with you because I think that it's the point that you made about Ryan being a perfect bridge. I think that's a really good point, and I think that between the, the Tibbs era was such a a downer just in terms of like attitude around the franchise and kind of like we obviously don't go into the practice facility every day but it just felt like it was a drag for someone who did for Carl Anthony Towns you know for, for Andrew Wiggins like it just felt like such a black cloud kind of hanging over the franchise and obviously he tips took them to the playoffs he had the most success that this team's had in 15 20 years like that that needs to be stated but it was such just Ryan was the complete opposite to that, where he was just like the happy-go-lucky. Everyone would have really enjoyed going to the practice facility every day, but he couldn't win games, and he really couldn't maximize any anything to do with this roster. And then it feels like Chris Finch is just like smack-bang in the middle. He He's a guy who's not... He's not Ryan's kind of personality where everyone gravitates towards him, but he's not Tibbs. And then on the court... He's, he's finding that happy medium, which is winning games, running the right systems, and still not making you know everything seem like it's it's horrible to be around. So that that I think that was a really good point. But to your point, it's I've complained about this for the entire season, and I feel like this weight has been lifted off my shoulders. Just I get to watch an actual NBA offense now, 
And the offense, I hated watching this team's offense so much under Saunders just because they they had the potential to be a good team. They had the talent there. Even when Towns was out for, you know, with the wrist injury and with the, with the COVID-19 case, they still had enough good players to not be the worst offense in the league. And <laughs> that's what they were. And now when I tune into League Pass every night and I watch, you know, the Charlotte Hornets or the... Boston Celtics, any any team, whenever I was watching that during the Saunders era, I just thought like, man, this is so much different to what we're watching. Like even bad team, even teams that are struggling for the season, like they make Minnesota look like a junior varsity team. And now I feel like Minnesota are just one of those NBA teams. Like they are capable of coming back from 12 points down to Phoenix that because they run a real system. Finch, uh, I wrote about it a bit in the in the Jalen Noel piece that I've got coming out this week, but like Finch is just running Horns actions all game. He runs like he he hasn't had that off season. He's had, you know, everything's changed after the All Star break, but that was still just like one practice, and everyone was still out on holiday during it. It's not like they were just sitting around talking every night about what they're gonna change, like. He has turned this thing around really quickly just simply by putting in place a simple offense that has simple counteractions out of the offense. And and now they're, they're capable to actually win games and actually hold leads or, you know, come back from deficits. It's, it's night and day at the moment. So, again, I'm not the most analytically driven. Uh, that I leave that for you and, you know, uh, Joe Holbert and, and Jack and all of our guys that really break that stuff down. Um but I rewatched the Suns win, right? When so I'm going to go on a little mini tangent. Like this is like my closest I have to basketball analysis. But do it because I've only watched that once. I only got to watch that live. I haven't watched it back yet. So, so I'm still on my things to do. So this is very, very like very specific. But one of the things I bitched about when Ryan was coaching was he didn't micromanage at times when you need to micromanage. He, he, he seemed a lot of Phil Jackson, Zen master, and just kind of let him play, let him play. He, he didn't call timeouts that much. Um, end of Except game. they didn't have Kobe and Shaq. Yeah, 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 exactly. Or, you know, <laughs> other than that, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. like, end of games, there was a couple times where I would tweet out angrily that he, you know, they finished the game and they had two timeouts in their pockets, right? Um, so I'm watching that Suns game. And I'm, I'm coming from a place where I was so mad that Ryan didn't use those end-of-game opportunities. That's when you really tighten the screws, right? You go offense for defense. You call a timeout. You just you drag the game on. They have this out-of-bounds play on the sideline. Uh, I can't remember what the score is, right? But they, they have out-of-bounds play. They All they have to do is inbound the ball to a free-throw shooter. I can't remember. I think they're up two, um, or maybe they're up one. Um, two timeouts left. Rubio's the inbounder. They run this complicated play. Someone runs to the corner and kind of gets open, and Rubio could have thrown it to him, but he doesn't. Go back and watch the play. He doesn't. So then Rubio turns and calls. They have one more timeout. They call that timeout. They go back to the huddle. They come back. They line up in the exact same set. And I haven't confirmed this. I was going to talk to Dane or something to ask. Like It's probably too late now, but I have this idea that they basically used that first timeout just to see what Phoenix was going to drop and how they were going to defend it. Told Ricky, and Chris Finch loves Ricky Rubio, said, call a timeout. Don't even pass the ball in. Doesn't matter if someone's open, just wait. I want to see what they're drawing, what they're defending. We're going to call another timeout. They come back out in the same exact set. So Phoenix probably thinks, like, okay, shit, they're in the same four straight line. They're going to pop out this way. And Chris Finch threw a here wrinkle in Minnesota- right then. Here comes Minnesota again. Doing and, he, and here comes things. Wancho 
Wancho, instead of turning the screen, just flares to the rim, gets this easy bucket, dunk and one clinches the game. And I really think, I really think Chris Finch, when they went out for that first inbounds, when they had one timeout left, told Ricky, don't throw the ball in. I just want to make it look like we're going to pass it. And I want to call another timeout and drop. That is coaching. Like that is next level. I have goosebumps talking about it. Like that is the type of stuff. I mean, you watch so much basketball. When's the last time you saw an uh, a pl- like a out of timeout play that was that brilliant? Wancho was wide open. So that that's why it's it's all about Chris Finch. I mean, we're gonna obviously talk about Ant, and we're gonna talk about Carl and unleashing those guys. And I'm sure you know Beasley's fit and Russell's fit, but it's all about Chris Finch. Um, I I I feel so much more confident in Ant's ceiling because of Chris Finch. I feel so much more confident in Carl's role and his long term ability to stay in Minnesota because of Chris Finch. I feel so comfortable Russell slotting back in as this team's starting point guard because that's inevitable because of Chris Finch. So I think that dude is the straw that stirs the drink. And without him, this could have been a disaster. Um, But man, this team is so, you know, like how much fun is this to watch now as a basketball junkie? Yeah, he reeks of experience. Like, and I don't know if that's just because we were, we got used to Ryan Saunders, who was kind of always just figuring things out on the fly. And that's not his fault. That's just the position he, you know, inevitably was put in because he didn't have any experience. And someone without experience, we know, I know that Chris Finch obviously hasn't been an NBA head coach before, but he's been a head coach in other countries. He's been an assistant coach for really good teams for a long time. And that play... I have watched back that play because I I saw you know I saw it the first time I said I need to go and look at that and I just watched the the final minutes of the game but that reeks of experience it reeks of someone who's seen this hundreds of times before in the NBA and have seen how it works and how it doesn't work and it's ballsy man like they could have just ran a simple play to get someone open at the top of the key and get fouled and go to the line instead goddamn Chris Finch runs a play to get Wancho slipping to the rim with, you know, five five to ten seconds left and he get and he dunks on someone and gets an and one. This is one of the this is a guy who has un- arguably been Minnesota's worst player on their roster. Like, not only does he run this play, which could have just been a simple play to get to the free throw line, he runs it to get Wancho to the ring. He completely bamboozles the one of the best defenses in the league. And one of the best coaches in the league, by the way, Monty Williams, who's probably going to win coach of the year. And he also gets a guy who's in a major confidence slump out of it, or at least feeling better about himself. That's and and that's, like you, that's such a great point that I haven't even thought of, but now I'm just going to hump to death. Is that like... like he could have done it with, he could have done it with Towns. He could have done it with Edwards. He, but all he knew that the defense would be teed on them. He went with Wancho, man. Like, I love that. I honestly love he, it. I mean, he, he not only was like, like he has the stones to be like, hey, watch this. Not only am I gonna, <laughs> and not only am I gonna, not only am I gonna have two timeouts, and I'm gonna call one, and then we're gonna basically not run an inbounds play. We're just gonna see what they're gonna do, right? Foot in in American football, they do this all the time. They they put the guys out there and they see what the defense coverage is, and then they just call a timeout and they want to go back in. Um, Finch did that, and not only did he's like, hey, I'm gonna go win the game because that would be cool. I'm also gonna give like a giant injection of confidence to one of the guys who needs it the most, who's either going to be on the team for a couple more years and needs to have a role. Like if Wancho's not traded, right? Like he has to play. And I don't, yeah. I'm not a Wancho fan even, but like 
he has a good skill set. Um, or I'm going to build up this guy's confidence so that my buddy Gers can go trade him in a week. But that's just like that's that's the type of thing that again, I no knock on Ryan because he's a good person. But again, if I if you ask me to do your corporate accounting or your taxes and I botched them, you're not going to be like, well, Kyle's a good guy. You make like, dude, you botched that shit. Like you were bad at that. And Ryan was bad at that. And Chris Finch is awesome. Chris Finch is really smart. And he is the best thing to come from, as I say, like the all-star break to me was like the rebirth of the team. Um, because I, I mean, Chris Finch is still dealt a bad hand because he can't practice. And I think that is probably in my mind, the least talked about story in the NBA is just the lack of practice. I just think that like you look at the, the standings and it's really like the top teams are just the most cohesive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's the Nuggets, yeah. the Clippers, the Lakers. Um, the ones that have had the same yeah. four guys for two or three or four years. Which is why a team like the Phoenix is actually that much more impressive because they are doing it on the fly and they have Chris yeah. Paul and Monty Williams. Or same for Charlotte. Like they're really making that work on the fly. But those teams, I mean, for the Suns, for example, they have a lot of veterans. Like they start Jay Crowder. They start Chris Paul. Devin Booker's been in the league for six years. So um, I don't think we want to do a whole podcast on this old head coach, Chris Finch, but he is the best thing. And he is the reason that all these other guys, I mean, there was a lot of dudes and I kept a lot of receipts that said this was like such a terrible roster. And Anthony Edwards was a bust and trade Carl Anthony Towns. I saw all that. I saw all those tweets in January and February and all of a sudden just one switch, one coaching change. And now Jalen Noel is having you write about him on the weekends. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, all these guys look like they're refreshed and know how to play basketball, and it's so awesome. The The line that I started the, the piece with is one that kind of just keeps reverberating around my head, is that cage birds seldom sing. And mm. that is, this team was just a caged bird. Like, obviously, they're not, they're not an elite team. There's still plenty of work to do on the roster and I'm sure that you know hopefully yeah. some of that work will get done on the, at the trade deadline but even then there's still a lot of work to do but like you need to just open that cage and just let a few guys fly fly around a bit you know sing a little bit because that that's what Finch seems to be doing and I think that the natural trickle down effect hits Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards first and that's the next thing I kind of want to hit on is like how how much different is your mindset towards that pairing over the last six games now that we've seen Ant go crazy? Obviously, he had that that below-average game against Phoenix in, in the second meeting on the back-to-back. But even then, he did a lot of things, a lot of other things in the in the box store. Um, what what excites you the most about Ant and Cat? Uh this is going to be next level. I'm like, I'm just, we're doing a podcast, so no one can see this but Jake. But like, I have wine. So I'm about to like go full <laughs> psychologist. But I have had, I've been blessed enough to cover games in Minneapolis a couple times, be in the locker room, talk to Carl. You, you and I both talk to people around the team. We have, you know, I don't, I hate the phrase sources, but like we talk to people. We know a lot about Carl's makeup. He's always been PR. He's always said the right thing. He's always been more mature than his age. I think he's 25, but he acts like he's 40 in a good way. I think Carl Anthony Towns loves the idea of being a big brother. Like, I think he embraces it. And I think that's what's so cool about him and Ant's relationship. 
you tweeted out that photo after the win, right, where they embrace and hug. And maybe I'm just making shit up, but Carl really loves being like, I'm the smarter guy. I'm going to, I'm going to pass on my knowledge to the young guys. He loves talking about that in post game stuff. He loves being like, I'm the smartest one in the room. I'm here to help the other guys. I think him and Ant are like the perfect personalities for one another because I think Ant is an alpha, like a true bona fide alpha. I want the ball in end of game stuff. And I think Carl's like totally fine not having the ball. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think he can be like, I'm, Carl can think like, I'm so good that I'm actually going to let Ant, let Ant take the shots. And I think that type of dynamic is awesome. So I know that you probably wanted me to hit you with some basketball stuff and I went full armchair no, psychology, no. but I think Carl loves that he can be Ant's older brother and show him the ropes. I mean, I know Ricky and him are best of friends now, Ricky and Ant, but I think Carl loves that. And I mean, you saw it, Carl was rolling for what, 41 or 41 points against the Suns that win. But he still kept giving the ball to Ant. Like, he kept deferring. He wasn't sniffing 50. He didn't even know how many he had. He was like, this guy's going to get me to the finish line. And I think that's awesome. I think their chemistry that they've shown already since the All-Star break is phenomenal. And that's why I don't worry about when Russell comes back or Beasley. Because I think Carl knows who the best player is on the team after him. Uh, and that, you know, you know what I mean, though? Like, there's so many basketball things you can talk about. But... A lot of times those things get buried if there's chemistry issues. And I think Carl loves playing with Ant, don't you? Yeah, I think they all intertwine. Yeah, like, yeah. I think that you can't have that connection in the pick and roll. You can't have that connection in that high-low game and the two-man game unless you have that trust in each other and that connection to be kind of close off the court. We saw that you know Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns had great seasons in that one year that Butler was here. They were both All-Stars. And yet it didn't work. It it didn't work in the long term. Like for it to work in the long term on and off the court, I think you need to have the chemistry as friends or like you said, it's that big, big and little brother mentality. And I think it's, it's a strange dynamic because I completely agree that Towns loves to be the big brother. And I completely agree that Ant is just an alpha. Like he is just a dog and he knows you know, when it's time to, to be the best player on the court, I can do it, right? Like, that's his mentality. But then I think he's so willing to learn and to be a sponge as well. Like, he knows that he's not... He doesn't have it all figured out. And that's why he mentions Ricky in <laughs> seemingly every single post-game press conference. He he brings up Ricky and, and like, the, the love that he has for, the, for his veteran leadership. But the way that Towns can be an alpha as in I'm going to score 30 points a night, but then also be a beta as in I'm going to give Ant the ball every time he's open because I trust that he is part of this future. And if I want, like Carl wants to be great in Minnesota. He, he said it multiple times. That doesn't mean he's absolutely going to stay, but he wants to be a guy. He wants to be Kevin Garnett, you know, like he wants to be that dude who people remember as synonymous with a franchise. And the only way for him to become... Kevin Garnett and not Kevin Love is for this team to be fucking good once upon a time. You and know? if you like think need... and if you think Carl's smart, which do you? Yes, I do. I, and I do too. He already and and again, I'm sure someone's going to blow up my mentions with this, and I'll just mute him. But he knows already that Anthony Edwards is better is the second best player on the team. He knows yeah. it. Yeah, and that's not a. I'm, I swear to God, man, like I'm hyped for D'Angelo Russell to come back. I'm, that's not a slight on him. But he already knows that 19-year-old Anthony Edwards is the future. Like, he knows that if he wants to get 
and have legacy and and really get deliver on his promise to his old friend Flip Saunders. It's Ant that's going to take him there. And and you had said something just a second ago about how Ant, you know, uh, talks about Rubio and stuff after the games. Um, if you don't want to like hear optimism or fanfare, then just mute this for a minute. But like, I the I'll biggest thing with probably Ant- just turn the podcast off. Yeah, just turn the podcast be optimist off. this whole time. But the Ant, the I'm, Ant- pe- I'm, a, I'm a pessimist enough, man. I'm a pessimist on like ninety percent of the podcast. The so. biggest thing that I have taken away from Anthony Edwards, I mean, he's he's scoring better than you thought he would. I mean, you did a ton of. Yeah. I mean, I'm not throwing you under the bus, but you you did a ton no, of draft no. coverage with Tyler Metcalf and Jack. Um, he's scoring better than you anyone thought. He's making more plays than anyone thought. I think he's rebounding already a little better, little than people thought. His defense is bad. It'll get there, yeah. I, I think. But the thing that gets me is those post game press conferences, and it's not the funny things he says because he's hilarious. It's the fact that he, I mean, because I, I get to sit on him. You've sat in on a couple. It's instantaneous when you ask him a question. He immediately pivots to say, Wancho, like when they said, what was the best play of that game? You had a career high 42. You beat the Suns. He instantly goes, that Wancho dunk and one. He didn't have to think about it. Yeah. Like that, like that shows you, and I, I said this before to you, and I mean it in a positive way. He's too dumb at 19 to actually know what he's saying, which is actually why what he says is so impressive. Because he, you know what I mean? Like I was thinking about this. He means it. It's not. It's not PR trained shit. Like it's. It's yeah. It's straight from the heart because he genuinely means it. And nothing about Anthony Edwards is PR trained. No. Nope. I hope it stays that way forever because he's just like unfiltered brilliance. And as everyone, uh, ev- everyone listening to this watches, you know, we're going to listen to this on Sunday. Watches March Madness. It's the big thing going on in the United States right now. Anthony Edwards is like the same age as all these guys. He just turned 19 yeah. in August. Like, he should be in March Madness, and he's dropping 42 on, like, the second or best defense in the league, and immediately after the game, like, I, I've given him a little shit, but it was more in jest, but, like, he loves to post his stats on Instagram after the game. Like, he <laughs> yeah. loves, you know, like, when the baby was, like, shouted him out, he loves to post that stuff, but you know what? You're 19. Like, I'm 32, and I love posting a good IG story, but, like, he really, in the heat of the moment, adrenaline's high. You ask him a question. He's he even said it too. I love when he's like, "I got a lot to learn, but Ricky Ricky gonna teach me." And it's just like, "Oh, yeah. what? Like you're my favorite player of all time." So, <laughs> it, it, and but the, but the biggest difference is is remember when he talked in October, November when he said, "This is you know Carl's team. This is Russell's team. Uh, I'm just a rookie. Like I'm trying to fit in." That's not what he says anymore. No, um, he he knows. He, he knows. And, but he doesn't know. He doesn't. He doesn't want to take the team over. Mm-mm, he just mm-mm. knows that his time is he's he has to step up if they want to be good. And and the most encouraging thing is all of his best games Minnesota have won. It's not like he's going for forty in a in a game that they lost by twenty five. Huge. Like, yep. Yep. The best games are the of his are the ones that they've won. And he seems like a guy who needs to see things happen on the court, like see positive results to kind of get the encouragement to do it again. Like, when he saw against uh, Portland that... Or even the games before that where he had, you know, 28, 29. Like, he saw that attacking the rim is getting him bigger numbers. It's allowing him to post more Instagram stories after yep. the game, you know, with his with his impressive stats. So he attacked the rim more every game. And now he sees that he scores 34 against Portland and they win against a really good team. He scores 42 against Phoenix and they win against a really good team. Now he knows that, like, 
if I play really well, if I take the reins, if I, you know, put my head down and be a leader on the court, then we can win games. I don't think he knew that at the start of the season. I think he kind of just expected a little bit, I guess like we did, for Minnesota to be a bit better and that he would come in and, and D'Lo and Cat and Malik would lead them to wins and he would kind of take a backseat and grow as the season progresses. But now I think he's he's firmly of the mindset that if I score 40, we're going to win. So I'm going to go out there and score 40. Like, And even when he scores 11 points, like he he knows, even after the game, like I thought his, his answers to the questions yesterday were brilliant about how Phoenix guarded him and how this might be the norm moving forward. He just said, look, that's respect. That's yeah. respect from Phoenix and this is what I might see every night now and this was just a lesson. Like, I'm going to I'm gonna take this lesson, I'm going to be better and next time teams throw, you know, four defenders at me at a time, I'm gonna, we're going to win the game because I'm going to do it better. Like, or how, I, how about this? I is love a, Anthony Edwards. This is, let's just do it for six hours. Let's just break through our timer. Let's just talk about, <laughs> no, but how about that back and forth that he had with, um, with Jace Frederick a couple nights ago when Jace told him what his three-point percentage was? He was like 41%. And Ant's <laughs> like, well, that's not that good. And Jace is like, well, it's like 40-some percent. Like, that's better than Steph Curry. And Ant was like, no, I'll, like, I'll never be better than Steph Curry. Like, just those little things, right? Like, he's not challenging Steph as, like, the best shooter in the league. He's just like, I could have shot better, and I'm, I'll never be Steph, and I could have made a couple more or missed a couple more or less. But um, the one thing with Ant, and this is my, my only biggest Nate Duncan-related criticism, is that, um, and Dane Moore pointed this out recently on one of his pods, but uh, I think we need to retire this idea of how hard we always study efficiencies I mean, you're you're bet you understand basketball better. You're more analytically than I am. But like, I hate when we look look at a box score and we see the points, and then we immediately go over to how many field goals he took. Because as I'm watching this team now out of the All Star break, and Dane actually said this, but like if Ant takes three extra shots and misses them all, those are still better shots than what the Timberwolves could have. Like, you know what I mean? Those are still better shots. I think Josh Okogie's averaging like three shots in March, which is like, I know it's a weird stat, but like he was averaging like almost six under Ryan Saunders. But he's like the worst shooter on the team. So like it, it doesn't like if Ant's taking a couple extra shots because he is a volume scorer, that's still better than having Vando or Josh Akogi or some of these other guys shoot. So we got to stop focusing so much on like, well, Ant dropped 36. Yeah, but he only shot 42%. Like who gives a bleep? Like that dude is, again, he's the, like those shots get the offense going and he's going to connect on more than he misses. Um, so that was just a little tangent. I just hate when people are like, well, what did he shoot? What percentage? It's like, who cares? Well, by, by you know, if you're looking purely on statistics, like he's the most inefficient player in the league, but at no point have I looked at, have I watched the Timberwolves game and thought like, this dude is a terrible scorer, most inefficient player in the league. Like he shouldn't be shooting these shots. Like obviously there's times where he makes some head scratching decisions or, you know, layup rolls off the rim. And you think, man, like I wish Ant could could make that consistently. But he's also nineteen years old, like, and he's already shown the capability to to put up big scoring numbers. Like, if you expect these dudes to walk into the league and score twenty a game on forty eight percent shooting, like, you're gonna be disappointed consistently because yeah, there's rookies who shoot forty five, forty six, forty seven percent or forty percent from three, but they're usually the dudes who shoot four to six shots a game like these things to be a volume scorer if you look I've, I've looked at this pretty extensively if you look at every single 
volume scorer type dude in the lead right now. You go back and look at their rookie season. Paul George shot 40% from the field. Victor Oladipo shot 40% from the field. Brandon Ingram shot under 40% from the field, under 30% from three. Like, these are dudes who are all-stars who have been first-team All-NBA players. Like, nobody walks into the league as a scorer and just dominates, you know, 30-year-olds. It just doesn't happen. Like, you need you need time to grow. And what you want to see in a rookie season is the process, the 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 potential that this guy can do it on the big stage. Every single person I talk to that's not a Timberwolves fan after we play, like if I talk to a, a Phoenix beat writer after the Phoenix game, every single one say the same thing. And they say, man, this dude has it. Like, like we don't, like obviously he's shooting bad from the field, but like we're sitting here watching this game against the 10 and 31 Timberwolves thinking, man, get the ball out of Anthony Edwards' hands. That's what other teams. That's what other fans think of Anthony Edwards. So and and you know, so it, miss it, me, miss me with that efficiency bullshit, man. Because so so if you go Google right, like just Google Anthony Edwards game logs. Um, a, to build on your point, a really impressive thing is he shot four for eighteen against Phoenix second night of a back to back. One of his bugaboos has been that second night of a back to back. I just I know he's built like a tank, but I just don't think he has the stamina. And, and they like, played like twenty, and he played like twenty college games, man. Like they didn't even make the tournament if there was a tournament. Like he's never played fifty games in the space of three months in his life. Right. Well, and not, against, and not at, against actual men. And at the point that he's literally exploding and his stock is going to the moon is when you would literally think that the rookie wall is coming in, right? So like yeah. he's blowing through that. But my my point was is when he shot four for eighteen against Phoenix. Go back and look at his game logs from the whole season. I don't think he'd shot that poorly since I think right after Valentine's Day. So about a month. But you know what he did? So uh, Valentine's Day, Ant shot 21% in a game and they probably got crushed. March, Ant, with Chris Finch in the helm, Ant shoots terribly again. What does he do? Oh, he goes and gets a career high rebounds and assists. You know what I mean? Like it's those little things. So like he just didn't have it that night. He still took 18 shots because he's probably always going to take at least 18 shots. But at least he had the sub, like, you know, like the wherewithal to be like, okay, I got to go grab the goddamn ball. Like, I got to go get those yeah. rebounds. Like, I got to get, I mean, it was only six assists, but it was like, I got to get other guys involved because it's just, I don't have my legs in me or it's just not working tonight. And those are the little things that's like, maybe I'm making a mountain out of a molehill. But I also think too that like his awareness is so high that it's like, holy hell, like, just give that guy more reps, more reps, more reps, and it's going to just come. And I think you're right too. Um, so obviously they had a doubleheader in Phoenix. I uh, have a really good buddy that lives in Phoenix. Uh, and he, some teams now have fans going to games over here in the States. Minneapolis or Minnesota doesn't, not until like April 5th. But uh, so they're in Phoenix. They have, I don't know, five, 6,000 fans in there. And I was talking to my buddy who went to the game. And he was like, dude, it was like crazy. 5,000 fans. I don't know if it was buy one, get 10 free margarita nights. But it was crazy in there. And they were like just screaming at ant the whole time and my buddy's like he looks so calm and like he fed off it and it's gonna be like that's like another thing that i just get like goosebumps thinking about i can't wait to see anthony edwards play in a packed arena uh i was about to say that like i i think obviously we can't know for sure but i just feel like anthony edwards in front of fifteen thousand fans in a game that you know if it's another level if Minnesota ever get fifteen thousand fans, you know, with the with this team, a lot of cardboard. But like, 
like all cheering for him at like when he's already got 35 and it's the fourth quarter like I just feel like he's one of those guys who's really gonna thrive off that kind of stuff if do you do you, this is a really nerdy thing but do you remember way 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 back when Baron Davis in like the We Believe Warriors dunked on uh, Andre Karolinko. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the, the they talked about like they did like the crowd meter and like they said it was like the loudest the stadium has ever been and the Oracle almost fell to the ground. Like if Ant does that dunk against the Raptors, that is my my home screen on my cell phone. If he does that in front of a packed Target Center and the way he smiles and embraces that and he's an entertainer, like you don't think that that dude just literally feeds off that. So that's why I just thought it was cool because I was thinking about, again, you and I are only talking about post-All-Star break. Um, Those two, they're two big wins. I mean, they beat the Blazers once, but like they beat the Pelicans in New Orleans and they stomped them. And they also had a bunch of fans there. And then they beat the Suns. And according to my sources, like it was pretty crazy there. People were yelling and screaming and hollering and stuff. Um, And I think that's cool. Like, I think it's cool to see that this team is already like calm under pressure winning games because remember all those games in january and february when they'd have a lead and you were just nervous as hell because they had no poise i think chris again this is not the chris finch podcast but i think chris finch just is calm and is like everyone relax we're okay we're gonna outsmart them just trust this they yeah. like they they try i think they trust the system yeah like i yep. don't think they trusted the the cylinder system so when it came down to we need to execute on every possession. Like we can't have three possessions where we where we screw up. Like you can throughout a game, kind of, and get away with it. I think now it's like okay, like we've seen that this stuff works. We've seen that this horns action works. This handoff action with with Cat and Ant, or this, you know, handoff action with Jalen Noel. Like we know this can work, so let's just go out there and do it. Whereas I felt like the the Saunders team was a little bit more frantic and and panicky. And, you know, which was the same as me. That's the, the, that's couch, the, that's the PG the way to put it. Yeah, that's a nice way to put <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, like, so, yeah, I think now they're just, there's more trust in the system, which obviously leads to better results. Um, let's take a little break, and then I want to talk a little bit about uh, D'Lo and, and Malik Beasley and what that means for the team. And then, um, yeah, we'll get out here. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Okay, um, we are back. We've we've done our rants, our Chris Finch, our Tarantino Towns, our Anthony Edwards rants, which I, I could probably do for another half an hour if, if you let me. But what this is, seems to be the big question outside all the excitement that has been, you know, kind of reverberating through Twitter and through all that stuff lately. Uh, I think the big question has been, what does this team look like with D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley? You know, is it better? Is it worse? Um, what do you think? So, let, if you don't mind, let's like let's paint the picture of what the next. Everyone's gonna start listening to this on Sunday, or maybe Monday, depending on when you listen to your podcast. Um, the Wolves have a four game homestand coming up Monday night. They host the Thunder, who are like 
really trying to tank all of a sudden. Um, they're still feisty, but that should be a, that could be a win. And then they play the Mavs on Wednesday, and then we have the trade deadline Thursday, and then a historic back-to-back Friday-Saturday against the 18 loss in a row Houston Rockets. So just kind of to picture, you know what I mean? Like we have two more games and then the all-star or the trade deadline. And then that Friday is when Malik comes back um, or scheduled to come back. Um, and then Russell maybe a week from now. So here's my, not another rant, but like I said this on Twitter, I could give two shits about how any of this works. Like I just don't, I'm not worried about it. Right. Because like Anthony Edwards to me is the future and he's probably the present um, and again, without beating a dead horse, I think Chris Finch is going to figure it out. And if he doesn't figure it out, then I think Rosas, I think people think naively that Gerson Rosas is attached to D'Angelo Russell because of what he paid to get him. I've heard, I mean, I, I, I think Gerson Rosas thinks of Anthony Edwards as his son. Like, I think he knows again, just like we talked about Carl, he knows who butters the bread. And if for some reason... Ant and Russell didn't work, then Russell will be gone because Russell has two years left on his deal. And I really hope it works. because I like watching him play basketball, but in, in technically speaking, Anthony Edwards has nine years left on his deal because no rookie ever doesn't sign the rookie extension. So like, are you focused on the guy who has two more years here possibly or nine more years? So I don't worry about it like people do. Like, I think it's so toxic to watch them beat the Suns and then immediately go to Twitter and be like, yeah, but what's going to happen when Malik and D'Angelo show? Like, who who the hell cares? Like, Chris Finch is going to figure it out. Also, too, looking back at game logs and bench production, this team needs more good players on the team because they can beat the Suns one night, but they sure as hell can't beat good teams multiple nights in a row and do one of these things called winning streaks when you win multiple games in a row. I know we haven't seen it since, like, 2019, but... I think Malik slides in and he's going to be perfect as like a, a when Carl and Ant run that that set at the top um and you put Malik in one side he's going to stretch the floor even more. Russell if he can come back and kind of like accept a little more like hey this Ant kid's really sweet. I like playing with him and Carl pulls him aside and's like hey, listen man, we got to keep Ant fed. I'm just not worried about it. But this is all like emotional NBA 2K type stuff. I kind of have to throw it back to you like from the X's and O's standpoint because you see it more, but I just, I don't worry about it. Like I think Chris Finch, this team has been fun to watch, but they still don't have a lot of good players because two of their really good players that make like a combined $45 million are on the bench and you can't win with that. You can steal games, but you can't consecutively win games and build just, you know, a sustainable model of excellence. Yeah, I completely agree. I think there's two... Two things that I, I hear a lot, or I guess like I, I see come across my timeline a lot that I think are misconceptions is one that D'Angelo Russell just has no willingness to play off the ball or to to cede a little bit of responsibility to someone else. One, because, you know, he's done it before. Like he did it in Brooklyn, obviously. He did it in Golden State. Like Draymond Green was fairly terrible last season, you know, offensively and still and quite injured throughout the season as well. But like Draymond Green handles the ball when he's on the court. Every time he played with D'Angelo Russell, like he the ball goes through Green at the top of the key. Go back and watch any Golden State game last season and you'll see D'Angelo Russell working off the ball a lot. And he averaged twenty three points a game. I know that Golden State were terrible, but like 
that's because D'Angelo Russell is a number one option and number two option is going to lose you games. Like, but I think that people think that he's unwilling to do it because we we got we associate Russell with what we've seen from him this season, and that's was on a team without Carlton Towns, with Anthony Edwards still very much in I don't really know what I'm doing mode. And then with Malik Beasley, who can't create a shot really for himself. Like, I think D'Angelo Russell just said, like, screw it, man. I need to be the guy who dribbles the ball all the time and who puts up a lot of shots because if they if I'm not the star, then we don't win. And maybe that was... Maybe he took that a little bit too far, but I don't think he's just going to come in and, you know, have a 35% usage rate and not give the ball to Cat and not give the ball to Ant. Like, I feel like we've gone way too far in the opposite direction with what D'Angelo Russell actually is. I can and guarantee then, you D'Angelo Russell is not going to play basketball when he comes back like he played basketball when right, he started the right. season. Because you just brought up, like, he didn't have Carl with him, right? I also do think he was injured. Like, I don't think he yeah. just woke up one day of after sucking for a little... And again, he sucked, but the whole team sucked, so I'm not throwing him under the bus. But I don't, I think he was dragging his leg along for a couple of weeks, yeah. right? And he's not the most, you know, physical guy, so I think if someone was bothering him, it was really bothering him. And to be honest, like, he was also playing for Ryan Saunders, right? So there's uh, I was no... I to say, like, I don't want to drag Ryan Saunders for this entire podcast, but, like, he used him terribly. He He... The only thing he ever ran... To get D'Angelo Russell off was a high pick and roll. It's like that is that was literally the playbook for D'Angelo Russell, and it was like let's do this fifty times a game. Like it didn't work. The it didn't work the first time, and it sure didn't work the five hundredth time. And I I just think if you're watching Chris Finch, we, it's always going to come back to Finch because he's been the the biggest change here. But if you're watching Chris Finch turn Anthony Edwards into 2013 LeBron James, like, I don't think you can tell me that he's not going to at least put D'Angelo Russell in positions to succeed more than he has in the past. Like, I I think if we're... If we're we, you can't simultaneously lump all of our trust and all of our praise onto Chris Finch and then with the other hand say, you know, D'Angelo Russell sucks and there's no way he can fit on this team. D'Angelo Russell is playing under Ryan Saunders, who, again, let's stop with him now because I feel like we have dragged him a lot. But we'll say this last time, like, who was not a good head coach? Like, no creativity, right? And and they definitely didn't jive together, just, you nope. know, in sources, terms of sources, sources confirm that. Like, they, they didn't. Yeah. But, but if you're D'Angelo Russell and you don't think your head coach is very good, you're going to play a little more, like, stand up you know like yeah on the court you're gonna be kind of like well screw it like i'm gonna do my own thing and root by the way he's playing with a bad ricky rubio at the time so like there's a lot that goes in and and ricky rubio would tell you i love him like he would tell you right now i was terrible out of shape a little covid stuff going on um so russell has he's playing with a young aunt he's playing with a bad head coach carl's not there his shooting guard is ricky rubio who is like coming over covid malik's like slotted into a position it's just it was so many bad things going on that I just kind of think that, like, you can't take anything away from that. Like, I think he's going to come back. I think the defense is where he's going to have to make more of an effort because there were yeah, way too many yeah. times where it was like, I mean, even if you're a Russell fan, like, it was embarrassing. Like, it was like and that's not, been consistent throughout his career, even in good situations. Right. Like, so, so he's going to have, D'Angelo Russell cannot come, the Timberwolves are playing really fun basketball, right? When D'Angelo Russell comes back, the both cannot continue to be like, 
parallel. Like they can't be like the wolves are going to put the wolves are going to play the same style and Russell's going to do his thing and we're just going to make there's going to have to be some interconnectivity of like Russell gives a little bit more on defense, but then they call a couple more sets for him. Like it's just going to have to gel a little bit more. But I think I honestly think he is going to flourish with Chris Finch because while I think Rubio has been awesome and his his jumper has been back, um his defense is obviously a lot better than Delos. Uh I just think that Unlock, like I mean, watching what the Wolves do, watch that Suns game again, and then just imagine it spaced instead of like Jade McDaniels and Rubio, who have both been good and are like two of my children. But now it's Beasley and Russell. It's like, dude, like I don't know what the defensive solutions are. I don't know if those players are on the roster yet. But offensively, I mean, come on, like that's going to be the most. I know people are going to hate this because the Timberwolves made the playoffs with Jimmy Butler. It's going to be the most offensive talent this team's ever had, ever. And I watch, I know that they had Sam Cassell and, and Sprewell and Garnett once, but you put that lineup out there, they're going to be lethal. And can they get stops? I don't know, but they're going to be so fun to watch. I think, and and Dane Moore, who always gets a shout out on the podcast <laughs> just because he's always bringing up such great points. But I think that, they're just going to lean into offense. Like, he brought that up. I think they're just going to go for it. Like, they if you can outscore us, and it, it will happen because they're not good enough yet to be the Brooklyn Nets who outscore teams every night. But, like, if you can score 130, try it. You better do it because we're going to score 130. And we might give up, you know, 125 every night, but we're going to score 130. Like, Anthony Edwards is a steam train who can hit corner shooters... And if you try, if you don't come off those corner shooters, he's gonna dunk on you, gonna dunk you into the dirt. And if you do come off those corner shooters, it's gonna be D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley, who are both forty percent catch and shoot guys. And I haven't even mentioned Carl Anthony Towns, who's a walking twenty-five and ten dude who can literally score every single way on the planet. Like, I think that like the Timberwolves are seventh in offense since the All Star break. They haven't even had D'Lo or Beasley. Like, I know that there's obviously issues in terms of getting all these guys to gel, and especially when they haven't all played with each other. I don't I don't know if... Well, they've probably played, what, two games together, all four of those guys, and that was when Anthony Edwards was coming off the bench. Like, all four of those guys have not started a game together. Yep. That That's going to be an issue, and, the, you know, you don't have to iron out the kinks there. But, like, talent wins in the NBA. We get that we get proven that every single year that talent wins in the NBA. Yeah, you're gonna get a Toronto Raptors team, you're gonna get a two thousand four Detroit Pistons team, like those teams are gonna happen. And I don't even I'm not trying to compare Minnesota to championship teams, but like talent gets you into the playoffs, it wins you games. In them grinded out games like last night against Phoenix where, you know, both teams are just kind of playing shitty, like I'm pretty sure that both teams scored about four points over a six-minute stretch last night. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, in those games, when you have four 20-point scorers or four guys who have proven they can average 20 in the NBA, at least, well, and I guess hasn't done that technically, but we, we can see that he can do that. Like, you're just not going to have as many quiet stretches and them games, you'll just, you'll just blow teams out. Like, say, like, OKC tomorrow, or Monday night, like... That if that when that game goes into a lull, if all four of those guys are there, those lulls are just way further between. If that makes sense, like and and listen, I don't know 
what the roster looks like or the formula is for this team to win the Western Conference Finals, right? Like, but I also... It's too far away. It's too far to think about. I'm just focusing on trying to win more than 10 games in a, you know, season. Right, right. So, so to that you're kind of making my point. My point is, is that like, if you watch, if you really study the NBA, like not, I mean, we love the Wolves and we're sick human beings, but we also watch a lot of other games. I don't think, and it's not just COVID related. I don't think the regular season, Bill Simmons talks about this a lot, but I don't think the regular season has ever had less importance than it does right now. And I'm talking about between, you know, we're still in an era of like rest, right? Or DNPs for guys like taking nights off and stuff. We're also into an era where we already know this draft class is awesome. And the 2022 could be a high school kids getting into it. And it's gonna be good. Like, and now we're in the ta- like the tankathon era. So I guess kind of my point is, is that if the, if the regular season is de-emphasized enough where people just don't home court doesn't matter and you don't care about stuff. If the Wolves just build this offensive juggernaut that every night, like you said, we're going to score 130. And some nights we might give up 145 and lose, and then all the bloggers are going to be pissed off the next day and we'll write about it. But if we can tell you every single night we're going to at least eclipse 125, they're going to win 45 games when this is all put together, right? You know what I mean? Because you're going to you're gonna face the Lakers without LeBron, who's resting on the second night of a back-to-back. Then you're going to go beat up the Thunder, who are tanking, like... If you can just build a sustainable offense, I think Dane is kind of oddly onto something. Like, you can just win enough games to get into the playoffs. And then, yeah, I'm. let's worry about defensive matchups in game four of the second round. of the. Like, let's just worry about that when we get there. But for now, I do kind of think it's an embrace and offense mentality. Um, and that's fun. It's pers- and it's a personality. Like, it's an identity. And this team hasn't had an identity yes, since... Yes, yes. I don't even know if they had an identity in Jimmy Butler. Year. Great point. It was kind of just like, you know, this team has Jimmy Butler and Cat. They're like they're probably going to win, but they it was still like there was no personality that every night you you know like when we go when we play the Los Angeles Lakers, you know, like this team is really good on defense. When you play the Charlotte Hornets, you know this team's going to play fast. They got Lamelo Ball. They got Terry Rozier, Gordon Hay- Haywood. Like they're going to punch you in the face offensively. When you play the Brooklyn Nets, you know that. They don't play defense, but if you don't outscore them, which is virtually impossible, I think Brooklyn will win the championship personally. Like, that's, (laughs) which, you know, which, which I guess makes me feel better about this all offense style. Because I think all offense, like, you know how the NBA is when, you know, in my mind, if or when Brooklyn win the championship, everyone's going to think, wow, you can actually win a game if you know you can win championships if you don't really play defense as long as you have enough offensive talent on the court and obviously you know Kyrie Harden and Durant isn't just something you can just mash together in an off season but like I don't know I just think that that it's an identity even if it's an identity that needs to be added to with with more kind of Josh Cody's or Bruce Brown in Brooklyn like once you've got that identity then you can start to fill the holes in it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I don't think it's a, where, Yeah, it's not a 48 minutes, by the way, of like Russell Beasley, yeah. Ant, Carl, and uh, let's say Wancho, just as like, because he's a scorer, right? It's not going to be 48 minutes of like a pickup game with them. Like, I mean, Chris yeah. Finch said it after the Phoenix, hmm, Phoenix game one or Phoenix game two, I, I get him confused, but I think he said like, you know, I'm people think of me as an offensive coach, which he is, but he's like, I'm a defensive-minded guy first. So I don't think they're going to just punt on defense, but I think, like you said, 
They're going to embrace more of a, we're just going to try to outscore you. But then also when it's winning time, we're going to tighten the screws. We're going to have Josh Okogie out there, maybe with Jaden McDaniels or Jared Vanderbilt, or we're going to run these crazy out of bounds plays that, as we talked about in the beginning of this, that like trick everyone, you know what I mean? So like, we're just going to run you out of the building as long as we can. And then when we get into winning time, yeah, we'll, we'll go offense for defense. Like, I think that's totally normal, right? Like, I don't think people realize looking around at other teams, how many other teams are trying to do that too? Like, I just want to like, it's never, you know this, it's never about me, but man, when uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson was cut, I remember people wanting to storm the target center capital and blow that place up because they were so mad about it. And I was told by everyone in the world that he was going to be signed within seven days. I think it was 79 days ago that that dude was cut and he hasn't been signed by anyone. And now there might be another reason that we don't know, like something that's actually serious and I don't want to make fun of, but if that's not the case, no team has signed him and he's a defensive specialist. They don't give a bleep because they're like, what's he, he's not going to be able to play during winning time. He can't score. You know what I mean? So it's like, Which, I just... How many times have we seen it this season? Like, Josh Okogie is an elite defender. Last he's night, so I'm pretty sure... Sh- I'm pretty sure he got home last night and emptied his pockets and Devin Booker fell out of it. Like, <laughs> and he still... How many times this season have, you know, me and you and every fan thought, like, Josh Okogie just cannot be on the floor right now because the NBA is so so dear towards shooting and spacing and if you just have one weak link in your chain then the chain is worthless yep. like and if you have two like early season rubio with josh Okogie and with jared vanderbilt three guys who can't shoot threes you literally cannot run an nba offense like and that's i guess a bonus point to saunders because like what else could he do yeah but put these guys out there like you know he didn't know rubio would be the worst version he has been, you know, the entire season. Like, it's just kind of like, just, just give me the offense, man. Like, imagine imagine having one of, uh, you know, one of the D'Lo cat pairing or the Anthony Edwards and John Collins, uh, I mean, Malik Beasley pairing <laughs> on, on at all times. Like, if you can stagger, like, we always talk about staggering dudes and, and you know, malpractice to have, like Beasley, Towns, Russell not on the floor at the same time. Uh, not yeah. one of those guys not on the floor at the same time. Imagine if you didn't have two of that four on at all times and you can just run the bench around that. Like, you you, sh- you theoretically shouldn't ever be a terrible offensive team, not even for a minute throughout the game. Obviously, that changes game to game, but, like, it's it's fun to think about. So so I, I think my, in conclusion on this topic, I had one more question for you, but uh, was, I, I think Malik Beasley, unless he does something crazy in the next week like post something other crazy on instagram um i think he'll probably slot back into this into the two spot and they'll move ant down to three um i think russell will still be out a couple weeks because i just don't think they'll rush him back because again i think i think we'll, point? i i was telling this to i think i was telling this to jack the other day but i wouldn't be surprised if this timberwolves start having a couple other guys that have cramping issues down the road because they don't <laughs> yeah. want to win too many games um, yeah. But yeah, you'll see Russell slot in with Beasley. You'll see Ant, maybe Jared Vanderbilt at the four. And then maybe you'll see this weird substitution pattern where Russell subs out four minutes in to the game and then Ricky comes in. And then, you know, like you said, then you just start moving guys around where maybe Ant plays a lot more with the second unit. Um, and they just start relying on him as his volume scorer there. So I think they'll I figure... I think we'll definitely see that. I think I... we'll definitely see Ant with the second unit more. 
and, and I think he's I, going to be the guy that they choose to lead that second unit. He's the one guy who you just feel like can put up 20 shots without it, kind of you know making a big deal about it. And, and I think for this season, and without any massive trades, which is what I'm going to throw to you in a sec, but I think, you know, I think when Russell comes back and Beasley, you're going to see Rubio get a couple less minutes. Like, it, it, it's a numbers game. It's just, it is what it is. And I think you'll see Jalen Noel... Not necessarily get DNPs, but maybe he only gets one stint in the first quarter or the first half, and maybe he doesn't play in the second half or something. And I think you'll see Layman yeah. just get chopped a little bit, and then you know maybe there's a night where Jade McDaniel's only gets six minutes or JV gets a DNP. So I mean, someone is going to have to lose minutes when you think about adding, you know, what forty four million dollars into your into your lineup all of a sudden. Someone's yeah, going to and at least sixty minutes yeah. worth of playing time. Yeah, so someone's going to bite the bullet. Um, but I also think too that that'll work itself out in the off season when, yeah, when and here's my final question: when I think they'll be more active. But we are recording this five days before the trade deadline. You did look at me with this big smile on your face when you mentioned John Collins. Um, let's end it with what do you what is your prediction that everyone can hold you to about now to the trade deadline because i have some takes but i want you to go first i was literally gonna ask you the exact same question and i don't we don't and and everyone should know that me and kyle this is the least prepared podcast that we've ever done like we literally (laughs) have no by prepared you mean i've been drinking since like three watching college basketball (laughs) then i'm well prepared but yeah no we have no plan but that's what friends are for so i want to know Five days before the trade deadline, we've seen like no trades other than PJ Tucker. That was probably the most notable yeah. thing. Um, but what do you? What is your either a take or a prediction or Wolves related guess between now and Thursday? I I think that they. I, if I don't mean to go first, I guess it's not a, yeah, No, I'll say that I think if this is not a hot take, this is not what I want. But I think if this is not too much of a hot take, I think they might do nothing that excites anyone i think they might move like a ed davis you know for a for a future second or like you know layman or something like that like i could see them just like kind of being a team that throws a piece into a deal into like a three-team deal and gets something back you know that was very minor but you know i want like i won't lie and say i want to see john collins in a timberwolves uniform i won't lie and say that i've thought while I'm at work and I'm you know wishing I was on the couch instead that I'd like to see Malik Beasley traded for for John Collins Uh, I think that's if they want a young player that helps them win which is by all reports that's what they want I think that's the deal that should happen and that's not really even because of Malik Beasley's off-court issues which do play a part but I just think that this we just spoke about it. Like this team's pretty imbalanced with their talent. They have the talent, and it's awesome, and I think it can work. But I think that John Collins balances out the guard forward big kind of conundrum a little bit, a little bit more. But if you want my prediction, is that they do sweet f all, and we're all kind of disappointed about it. What's your? Give me your takes. Well, this sucks because that's why I should have gone first. Because I agree, and I think the same thing. And I think, and I really want if you if you like us, just bear with me. I really think if they don't do much, it's okay. Like I really, yeah. I really do. And I know you think I'm a homer, but like we're talking about the fact that the deadline is Thursday, and then they get Malik back Friday, and just on the court, just between the lines. Don't worry about social media or off the court stuff. Like he's a really good player. 
Like, he's a good shooter. Like, I want to see this new Ant-Cat connection with Malik, who's been a lethal, almost Steph Curry-like spot-up shooter. I want to see him spotted up and not Josh Okoge. Like, I just want to see it for a little bit. Um, And so that's like getting an acquisition, right? He comes the night after the trade deadline, you get Malik Beasley back. And then a week later, you get D'Angelo Russell back. So if you like change or you like new stuff or you play a lot of 2K, you're getting talented players back. Kind of like you traded for him, but to the yeah. So, but to the John Collins thing, I'm not gonna say that this is like sourced or whatever. But like, John Collins isn't getting traded. The Hawks are eight zero since they got put Nate McMillan in charge. Mm-hmm. They just had an impressive win today against the Lakers. Yes, LeBron went out, but I think, and I'd have to check this, but my wine is spilled on my phone. I think they're fourth in the East. Like, bro, they're not, they're not, like, sometimes this just happens, too. Like, sometimes you lose a bunch of games, and then right at the deadline, you just, like, blow it up. Or you win a bunch of games, and you win yourself out of being able to make moves. The Hawks aren't trading John Collins, because they're, they're too good right now. You can't blow up a good thing, especially when your ownership, and this is, like, public, you, you know, that's, like, they're, they want to win. You know what I mean? Like, imagine Glenn Taylor is, has the fourth best team in the West. We wouldn't be trading anyone. You know, you're not going to be sellers. You're going to be buyers. So, I don't think he gets traded. I've never been an Aaron Gordon guy. I just, I don't know. You get, you again, you see basketball better than I do. I just don't see the fit. Like, I just yeah. don't think he's... I I'm, I do like Aaron Gordon, but I very much recognize that I'm in the minority, and I understand why. And I think that, by all reports, they're asking way too much yeah. for Gordon. I can't see, I can't, like, Malik Beasley seems to be the kind of player they want, and a first-round pick. Like, Gerson Roses has made a few mistakes since he took over, but I... Very highly doubt he'd be doing that. Well, and and one thing that I have actually heard, again, I hate sources, but someone actually told me this once, and then like I had to go to Dane because Dane's our friend and he actually knows stuff. <laughs> but I confirm. But I would say that Glenn Taylor is not open to selling more future first round picks. Like I think, yeah, and he shouldn't be. Like this team's not good enough to just be, you know, mortgaging their future picks. Like right. we saw this. How much anxiety? Has the trade <laughs> trade caused us with this pick? Like, if I have to watch Cade Cunningham or Evan Mobley one more time with the thought that Minnesota, you know, are going to lose their pick or, or, you know, any of those guys outside the top three, I should say, like, I- I'm going to cry. I can't do that another time. I think if... Ger- Not for Aaron Gordon. No, that's my thing, is I think if I think if Gerson Rosas had free will to just mortgage a bunch of future first-round picks, I think that Aaron gordon deal would have been done last last month um but again too now you can get really mad right because you hear glenn taylor and you just think loser which might be right but i think you can actually give glenn a little credit there because i'm with you like i think there's other ways to to build this up by just bringing in the talent that's currently injured or suspended as well as moving some of the margins no one's better at microtransactions than sasha gupta and gerson rosas but i just like you bad teams there's only one thing a bad team can do that can screw themselves even more and that's trade future first round picks right like it's the only way you get better because minnesota doesn't ever sign free agents you can't the minnesota's two best players are two guys they drafted with the number one overall pick you can't start trading those down the road even if you're like well 2024 whatever whatever no you can't do that so i'm with you i think i think they try to unload a guy like a wancho or an ed davis and recoup a pick for PR standard too. Like, hey, look, we added an asset. Um, 
or maybe they get if, like, they get if they get a second round pick in this year's draft, I will consider that a win. Yes. Like yes. if they can, if we can just watch draft night with Minnesota Timberwolves, you know, coming up on the screen one time, I think that's a win. And I, I don't think I agree. I don't think that anyone should be disappointed if this isn't just like fireworks filled trade deadline. At some like, point, the Timberwolves can't year in and year out be the team we saw last year, right? Like, there's no precedent for constantly flipping your roster over 80% within a week and thinking that you're building what Gerson Rosas has trademarked a sustainable model of excellence. Like, you can't do that. This team needs just, like, cohesion. Like, they just need a constant. So, like, keep running these same starting lineups out there. Add Malik. Add D'Lo a week later. Um, And that's, I think, the best way to kind of build this up. Dane was on this in like 2019, last shout out to him, but we've always talked about the 2021-2022 season. It's always been about that. So, and they got, you know, they have, they don't have any picks this year, which I didn't actually know. Like, I didn't know the, I didn't know they gave up their second round pick as well. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, that you have the Balmero rights, which I don't know if he'll come over this year, but like, you did get three first round picks last year. So, you know, if you, like you said, if you could flip a guy that's not really playing and get a second round pick. So that you and I have something to write about for three months this summer. Um, I think that would be a win, but I just don't think I think they have they're so committed to Russell, Beasley, Towns, and and Ant. And now I guess this is the best way to end it, because he's one of our favorite players. I think Ricky Rubio is untradeable. I don't think you can get yeah, rid of him right now because I think he means too much to Ant, and that is so sappy. And he's playing well. Like he's playing really well. But even And I'm sat on this podcast more than once and said, like, we, you know, trading Ricky Rubio is the right move. But, you know, things change. John Collins, trading John Collins was probably the right move for Atlanta yeah, three point. weeks ago. good point. And now, and now, as you said, like, the odds of them trading him have dropped dramatically. And I think that they'll even risk just him entering restricted free agency. And I think if they continue, if they come fourth in the East... I don't think they probably will at the end of the season, but if they come fourth in the East, I think they'll match a match contract if anyone gives yeah, it to him. Yeah. And I don't think, they, and I don't even think anyone will. But I think that's how quickly things can change in the NBA. And on a micro scale of that, Ricky Rubio went from almost unplayable to a guy that is clearly means a lot to this team on and off the court. And I think the only thing, the only risk factor in not trading him is that D'Lo comes back. And he wilts away again, right? Like, that would make Rosas look bad if Ricky Rubio kind of shrivels back into unplayable Rubio when, when Russell's there and he had the tra- the chance to move him at the deadline and teams wanted him. And it would also be like, some people probably, some people probably hate this, but this is just the truth, so shut up and listen. But like, it would be really sad if Ricky Rubio, who was brought back and everyone was really excited, and then he obviously was bad, terrible for all, but he's been really good again, and I think everyone loves Ricky Rubio. His stock has almost never been higher, and Ant talks about him all the time. I mean, when Anthony Edwards said, I don't know a lot, but Ricky's going to teach me, I mean, man, I was in my feelings on that. Like, that was hard for me. Like, but it would also be really sad as a fan if Rubio came back and did kind of turn this around a little bit and was traded this week the week before fans are allowed in the building because on April 5th when they can have fans back, Ricky deserves to have 3,000 people like chant his name. You know what I mean? Like he meant a lot to this team in his first stint. So so I don't know. I just think that he, like you said, even if he wasn't playing well, he meant too much to Ant. And I mean, I really think that like 
he means a lot. Like Anthony Edwards talks about that dude all the time. And there's a, we just talked about Chris Finn for an hour and a half or whatever. There's a good chance we don't know that maybe 50% of that should actually go to Ricky. Like for all the stuff he does on the yeah, court. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think without being a buzzkill and if you're still listening, I think maybe a minor move. I'm sure they'd love to be in like a three team, four team deal where they move Lehman to a contender and they get a second pick or something. Um, that would be probably the most I expect, but I really don't expect fireworks. I really don't. I think the teams that have the guys that are available are either asking too much or like the Hawks are, are like you said, it's changes on a dime and they're too good. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're not trying to look for, uh, not, they're not looking for Culver, right? Unless you give up two first round picks and the Wolves can't really do that. So it might be a cool trade deadline, but I also think too that these last 30 some games and again, no credit to me, but was anyone else telling you that the team was going to be really good in the second half of the season? Or was that just me? Because I feel like I at least get one point yeah. for that. I said, just hold on a little yeah. longer. Get rid of Ryan, and it's going to yeah. turn around. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I just think I just think that... I had to puff right myself now, up we, <laughs> Right now, we can just enjoy that this team's playing a little bit better. They have OKC. I, I'm doing this off the top of my head, yep. so... Don't uh don't quote me here, but OKC, Dallas, and then two Houston's. I'm actually Dallas, yeah, I'm actually going back. Is it Dallas twice? Or, is it Dallas twice or Dallas once and then two Houston? Dallas once and then uh, Houston twice. I'm actually going back next week to cover those games, so I'm going back for the first oh. time. Um, so I'll be there for Wednesday night's game and then Friday and Saturday's game as well. So uh, I'm excited about that. But so you got the so you got the Houston back to back. Yep, yeah. So I'm excited. That might be the first win streak since the first two games you know what i'm gonna spin this is the perfect way for someone like me to end this i'm gonna spin this perfectly it's a win-win situation no matter what happens against the rockets because they either get their first winning streak since like what the the first two games of the season or they lose them both and it guarantees us a little better draft odds so there's there's (laughs) no way that they come out of that weekend unless someone gets hurt knock on wood as losers so i'm i'm hyped for those two rockets games it's the everyone wins (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, then we'll leave it on that. Hopefully, and by the time I, I think next weekend we should do another podcast. It'll be past the trade deadline. You would have been to these games, and and you know you always have a bit more insight when you're actually at the games and talking to the to guys on the press row. Um, and, and we'll we'll kind of you know shoot the shit then, and hopefully it's a winning streak or it's a trade at the trade deadline. I'm sure no matter what there will be some sort of uh kind of bold topic to talk about and well, so. then we can just talk about i mean we have like what five more days of fantasy and you know video game like trades and stuff but what i'm really excited and you mentioned this like five minutes in after the trade deadline i'm excited because i think this team is trying to win enough like i think they're going to show a good effort most nights and then we can just talk about basketball for 30 games and we haven't been able yeah. to do it's yeah. been so many different off the court or different drama like I'm really excited for you and some of the guys we have at Canis and just in general to just like talk about basketball because you guys are really good at it. Like just break down X's and O's, talk about end of game situations and stuff because this basketball has never been more talented and I'm just excited to watch. It's must watch TV now. It used to be like, God damn it, I have to turn into this game again on January 28th. But now it's like I have to tell everyone in my life like, hey, I got to watch the Wolves tonight and they don't make fun of me and it's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah well that is a perfect way to, to finish it uh kyle doesn't get bullied by his friends anymore for being a <laughs> <Wolves> fan <laughs> that's the song that's the summary because 
I still do just like live across the world and I'm so dedicated to it and everyone's like, you know, you can just watch like Australian rules football, right? Like my team's good in that and I still spend my time on a Sunday afternoon podcasting <laughs> for an hour and 15 minutes about the Wolves. Um, but Kyle, um, you're a legend, dude. As usual, I, I, I love these shows. So we'll get back on next week. We'll, we'll try yep. and get Jack maybe with us and, and we'll, um, we'll talk about it then. Yeah, take it easy. Uh, have a good week. Everyone's out there. Stay safe and uh, enjoy the trade deadline. And we'll be back to talk about real basketball here in about a week.